Well, good afternoon. So wonderful to be with you all and to worship alongside of you. Very appreciative for the opportunity to come and to open up the word alongside of you all. And I would invite you then to take your Bibles and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. When he emailed me, Pastor Jeff asked me, would you please bring something from your sermon series in Ephesians? I've been working through Ephesians with my church for the last several months, and we are only a little bit ahead of this chapter now, only just in chapter two. And so it was my delight. And as I was thinking through what I would bring, I I can't say that any one thing stood out except I said, maybe I'll just bring it all. Because this whole chapter just flows so well together. But don't be intimidated by that. We'll we'll see what the Spirit has for us today. Well, let's begin then in verse 15. Paul writes, For this reason too, I, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you, and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you, While making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is the word of God. Oh, Father, we come before you so grateful to you. Thank you so much for your word to us. Thank you for its power. Thank you for your spirit who has borne it along for generations, preserved it that we might have it today. O Lord, enlighten our eyes, open our ears. May we hear your word and may we behold your glory today in your scriptures. O Lord, how we love you. We adore you. Please help me to unpack the scripture. Help me to exhort this beloved congregation, these beloved people. Oh, Lord, I pray that every one of us would walk out of here encouraged and challenged. Oh, Lord, I pray that everyone would head for our prayer closets as we learn to unceasingly pray for one another. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, what greater privilege is there than to go boldly into the throne room of God and lay our petitions. What a wonderful privilege that God has given us in Christ Jesus, that we are beckoned in. We are even commanded, come. And not just once, not just once a month, not just once a week, not even just once a day, but come. In fact, be devoted to prayer. And in other places, it says, pray unceasingly. Such is the wonderful access that we have to God. Not just a one-time thing, but all the time. He has beckoned us into his presence. Come. And so we should come. Because what use is that privilege if we do not use it? We want to come and we want to bow before him and worship him. We want to lay all of our supplications at his feet. It is a great privilege to pray. And not only that, our Lord has commanded all of us to love one another. This is my commandment. 
that you love one another. And what greater way could we then love one another than by praying? In fact, my friends, loving one another begins in our prayer closet. Beginning in our prayer closet, we learn to love each other. And this is what Paul demonstrates for us in pretty much every epistle, because every epistle has a wonderful prayer in it. And in this epistle, his prayers are phenomenal. And I encourage you then to learn from these prayers, to learn from the prayer that we just read, to learn from all of the prayers of Paul, to learn from all of the prayers in the Psalms, to learn from the prayers of Jesus. Pray the scripture, know it in and out, take it in and then breathe it out to God in prayer. And as George Whitfield studied his Bible on his knees, may we also read the scriptures and absorb them into ourselves on our knees, ever before our God, treasuring his word and treasuring our access to him and treasuring one another. Christ gave us the royal law to fulfill, to love one another. And as I said, loving one another starts in prayer. Peter says to work hard at it. Be fervent in your love for one another. I like to think of that as working hard at loving one another. Stretching yourself in your love. Exercising your love for one another. Going above and beyond. Not afraid to get in and get your, your hands dirty, but to work hard on one another's behalf. And where else can this start but then working hard and diligently in the prayer closet? Loving one another as we love ourselves starts in prayer. I don't know about you, but I'll speak for myself that my time in prayer can be so difficult even just to begin sometimes because I come to God and I'm battling with my flesh and I'm battling my flesh's revulsion to prayer and I'm beating it into submission. Do you all know this battle? And I'm beating it into submission and I'm saying, no, I must pray. You will not overcome me today. Perhaps you overcame me yesterday, but I am going to break through it. I am going to pray to God. I am going to pour my heart out to him. And we battle our flesh. We battle worldly enticement. We battle demonic influence. And we have to sit on our knees and we have to say, Lord, I am here. And I am here to pray to you. And if, if that were not enough, because my friends, as you know, the flesh hates to pray. We have to beat it into submission. And if that were not enough, then we have to pray for someone else. It's hard enough to get myself on my knees and to grab hold of God and say, Lord, I'm going to pray to you for all of my needs. And then I need to be selfless in these prayers, too. There's no room for the flesh in this kind of praying in taking hold of God and saying, oh, Lord, please help my church. Please help my brother, help my sister. Please help my wife and my family. Oh, Lord, I pray, please. We become, I don't know about you, I'll say me, I become so often so very self-centered in my prayers. Oh, Lord, here are my needs. This is what I want. Oh, Lord, hear me and answer my prayers. And, oh, yes, just in general, Lord, thank you for my church. Thank you so much for them. Please help them. Amen. But to take hold of God and say, Lord, there is this one brother, this one sister who is going through such a struggle, such a trial. Oh, Lord, please, please help them today. And if you're like me, at times you don't know exactly what to pray. I should be praying for this brother. I should be praying for this sister. But words fail me. What exactly am I supposed to be saying? What exactly am I supposed to be praying for? And that's where passages such as this one become so helpful to us. 
we are told in the scriptures to put one another's interests above our own. But Lord, please help me to understand how to pray and set aside my own interests and my own needs and to pray continually and unceasingly for others that I can love my brother, I can love my sister as I love myself. We have to learn to pray sacrificially in love for one another. Now we do have many reasons to pray for one another. And this is what Paul does. In fact, he shows us this. Look at verse 15. For this reason. And anyone who studies the Bible, when you see the word for, or in this case, for this reason, you go back in order to see what the for is there for. And when you go back, you find this wonderful passage in verses 3 through 14. And we don't have the time to exposit that at length. I'm sure it's been done from this pulpit many a time. But here Paul lays out the blessings that all of us in Christ have in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. These spiritual blessings in the heavenly places include that we were chosen before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him. That we were predestined according to his love through Jesus Christ as sons to himself. That we were redeemed by his own blood. Our trespasses and sins have been forgiven. That we have been, I call it, informed about everything that God is doing from eternity past to eternity future. He has told us what the purpose is. He has given us a reason for all things. And that is the summing up of all things in Christ. That is Colossians 1.18. To make Christ first place in everything. We know God's purpose. We know what he is doing. We have been informed of these things. Paul also says that we have been blessed. And that we have an inheritance with God. We are heirs alongside Christ. And finally, he says that we are blessed and that we are sealed in the Holy Spirit, who is the pledge of our inheritance, which is to come the redemption of God's own possession. And it is for this reason, because of all of these wonderful blessings that are true for each and every believer. This is the reason that Paul bows his knees and he prays for his readers. And he says, for this reason, because of all of your blessings and all of the spiritual places in Christ Jesus, all of these phenomenal blessings poured out, lavished upon you by God. For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you and your love for all the saints. What had he heard about them? He knew that they were in Christ. He knew these blessings were true of them because he'd heard of their faith. He'd heard that they were believing, that they were trusting in Christ Jesus for eternal life. He had heard that they believed the gospel, the message of truth. He had heard all of this about them and he was hearing of their faithfulness, their continued abiding in the gospel of God. They had heard of their faith. He had been hearing of their love for all the saints, that faith which is worked out in love and all of the labor that love does. For this reason, I too, he says, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you and your love for all the saints. Do we love one another, all the saints? Are we so thankful for their faithfulness? Are we so thankful for the blessings and the hope that God has given to them that we bow our knees along with Paul and we say, I do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. God is your witness. Is this your prayer life? Is this your prayer life? To make mention of your brothers and your sisters. To make mention of your wife and your family. To make mention of all the saints throughout all the world. Because of their faith. Because of their love. Because of the great blessings poured out upon them. What a privilege we have. What a duty that we have before God. 
knowing the trials and the temptations that each and every one of us face. Oh, we should be busy about this prayer. We should be devoted to it. You know of a man who watches football, and that man can be watching football even when he goes out to mow the yard. Because he'll mow a strip of grass or two or three and he'll go in for, quote unquote, a drink of water and he'll stand with the drink of water and he'll stand there and he'll sip the drink of water all while watching the scores. He sneaks away to go and to see the scores. So then we should be people who sneak away to pray to our God. I have just remembered this sister. I have just remembered this brother. I'll be back. I must go before my God and pray. Well, the Holy Spirit teaches us to pray unceasingly for the character and the knowledge of all our brethren. Here is what you can pray. The Holy Spirit here teaches us the content of our prayers. Look at verse 17. First, we pray for one another's character. Verse 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory. Oh, just stop there and see the wonders in that. This is to whom we pray and this is on whom we depend. The God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory. Oh, our Father, what a wonderful term for God. What a wonderful endearment that he is our father and we are his sons. And that in Christ Jesus, his beloved son, we come with great access to him in prayer to lay down our supplications and our requests before him, the father of glory. Oh, see your privilege. How wonderful. If you are an adopted child of God. And if you come in the name of God's beloved son, how could he turn you away? How could you deny him? How could he deny you what you are requesting in his name? That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of glory, oh, cast yourself on him. Pray to him and go to him. May give to you a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of of him. Here is the prayer. May God the Father grant a spirit. Now we're not talking something really crazy here. We're talking about an attitude, a disposition, what I've called here a character, that this would define who you are. That this would be what you are characterized by. That this would be the attitude of your heart. That he would give to you a spirit. This attitude, this disposition, this character that is described by wisdom and revelation. It was a little odd to me when I first started studying this that he used the word revelation. Typically, in these prayers, you find Paul use some derivative of wisdom and understanding. And here he says wisdom and revelation. But don't let that trip us up. You see, he's praying here that you would be characterized by a spirit of wisdom. That is, that you would take the knowledge. Notice that's at the end of the verse. He would give to you a spirit of wisdom. Skip a little bit. In the knowledge of him. And so we see this wisdom taking the knowledge of God and making it practical, putting it into use, that you would walk in wisdom, that you would walk wisely, that you would be skillful at applying the word of God and walking accordingly. This is what Paul is praying for, that you would be characterized by wisdom. And of course, this is a spirit given wisdom. This is a spirit-given spirit, if you will. It is characterized by wisdom. And of course, we have the Holy Spirit of wisdom himself. Teaching us, guiding us, helping us to learn how to obey the word of God. 
helping us to walk according to God's will, we have within us the spirit who will give to us a spirit of wisdom and secondly of revelation in the knowledge of him. And here I take revelation simply to mean illumination. That he would take the word of God, that he would take the knowledge of God, and that he would so illumine your mind to it, that then you would be able to walk accordingly. That you would be able to walk in wisdom. And so this is the the content of the prayer here. Very simple. Please grant to this person, to this brother, to this sister, a character, an attitude, a disposition of wisdom. And revelation that the word will be in their mind and on their heart, that they would then take that and apply it to themselves skillfully, walking wisely before you, O God, and that you would illumine their mind to all of the knowledge that they would be able to walk and understand everything that you have said. You see, the Christian life is not something whereby you just collect knowledge. It's not just getting knowledge into your head for knowledge's sake and whoever has the most knowledge at the end of the day wins. That is not it. There is a purpose to knowing God's word. There is a purpose to knowing God's will. And it is this that we can walk in such a way. And of course, each of us knows that we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to walk accordingly. That he will bring it to our minds, that he will use it in our life, that he will take of his and use it accordingly. And so then we pray for that, of course, in our own lives. Oh, Lord, bring to my mind all of the knowledge of the scripture. Bring to my mind everything that I need at this appointed time and help me to walk wisely according to it. Illumine my mind to its meaning. But Lord, then not just me, but my brother, my sister, my church, the churches around the world. All of those who are persecuted for the truth, oh Lord, please do your work in them that they would be characterized by a spirit. How wonderful would it be if all of our churches, if all of the churches around the states, if all of the churches around the world were characterized by such a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. Oh, what a wonderful thing for which Paul prays. What a wonderful request that we can take and lay before the feet of our father, knowing that this is his will. Secondly, we pray for one another's knowledge. We pray for one another's knowledge. Look at verse 19. I pray, and you might be able to see in your Bible, that's in italics. It's to break the sentence up because, of course, Paul wrote in Greek. And it's very difficult sometimes to translate from Greek into English because Greek has different ways of expressing a sentence. And in English, sometimes it gets very clumsy and awkward. And so they'll, they'll put a period, they'll break the sentence up. This is one of those times. So really, we're coming off of what was just said in verse 17. And then our translators put a little bit of... Uh, uh, something there just to help us kind of grasp the sentence and not struggle with it so much. So verse 18, he's still praying, of course, and he's saying this is how, this is the means, this is how he wants the request to be answered. Because the eyes of your heart, he says, have already been enlightened. Having been enlightened. And of course, as we pray, we ask for more knowledge. For more enlightenment. And the word there, I, I love the, one of the translations. It says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be flooded with light. Isn't that wonderful? And of course, we already have light. We are walking in the light. We know the light of the world. We are no longer in the darkness, but we are in the light. We are light in Christ Jesus. All of those coming from the scripture. And so this has happened already. Our eyes have already been opened. We've already been illumined. We've already been flooded with light. And here Paul is praying that this would continue. That this would continue on and on and on and on. And that his readers would grow more and more and more in the knowledge. That they would be enlightened all the more. 
And it is this knowledge, this enlightenment, this flooding with light, if you will, that brings about our first point. The flooding with light brings about the spirit of wisdom and revelation. As we grow in knowledge, and then the spirit helps us and empowers us to take of that knowledge and to walk accordingly. And so in a way, Paul is sort of working backwards here. He's already given the request that there would be an attitude, a spirit, a disposition, a character. And now he's praying that the knowledge that fuels that disposition, that character, that attitude will be increased. I pray, he says, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. That is, that you may be flooded with light so that you will know. And then he lists these three things. Listen to these. You already know these. If you know the gospel, you know these. If you know the Bible in and out, you know these. It doesn't matter how much or how little you know of the word of God. If you know the gospel and if you have sat in the gospel, you understand this. What is the hope of his calling? Of course, we could simply define that as just the hope of heaven, the expectation of things to come, the hope of his calling that you have been called unto eternal life. This is what he wants you to grow in. Second, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance and the saints that he has a people? A possession of his own and you in Christ, you are a part of that people. And number three, what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? And of course, as you study the gospel, you understand the surpassing great power of his strength toward us, the greatness of his power toward us who believe is so fantastic, so amazing. And this is what he goes into in chapter 2. That God has so worked in your life with such marvelous power to bring you to salvation, to know His Son, that if you have only just come into the faith, if you have only just believed and been born again, then you have an understanding of all three of these areas of knowledge. The hope of his calling, the riches of the glory of his inheritance and the saints, the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. You already have some knowledge of that and you already have some experience with that because just in being born again, all of those have come about and you have already experienced all three of those areas of knowledge. And now Paul is telling every single one of us, whether we are a babe in Christ or whether we've been in Christ for a hundred years, To know these things. I pray that your eyes might be enlightened to them. I pray that you would grow in a knowledge of them. And that as you grow in this knowledge, this attitude, this character, this disposition of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him will only increase to where you are looking more and more and more like Christ. Isn't that just descriptive of Christ? A spirit of wisdom and revelation? Don't we want to grow into that? Don't we want one another to grow into that? Isn't that just a description of Christ? That he knew the hope of the calling? He knows the hope of your calling? That he knows the riches of the inheritance in the saints? And that he knows the surpassing greatness of the power that's at work in you? Doesn't that just describe our Lord? Oh, to pray for one another to be just like our Lord. And this is Paul's burden in Ephesians. Because not only is he going to pray for this, he is going to work hard in teaching us this. This is so much of what Ephesians is about. That from the very beginning, it's like he just can't wait to just lay it all out. That that he just puts this massive sentence in verses 3 through 14 about all of these blessings that I've already outlined and detailed. 
All of these blessings showing us that from eternity past to eternity future, we have a wonderful hope of our our calling, that we have a wonderful inheritance, and that we definitely see the surpassing greatness of his power at work in us. And then, oh, we pray. We pray that we ourselves would understand it more and more so that we can teach it. And not only that, but we pray that as we teach it, the church would understand. We pray that the church would have an understanding that God would so illumine our minds that we would grow and mature in Jesus Christ in all of these things. So friends, not only should you pray this, but you should pour over these things. This should be part of your study every day in and out every single day that you pray, as I said, as we're on your knees, breathing in the scriptures and breathing out prayers to our God. Oh, Lord, this is your word. Bring it to pass. What a wonderfully great word that we have. And so I would tell you, pray according to his will. Look at verse 19 again. After detailing these three areas of knowledge, he goes on to say that these are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might. Isn't that wonderful? All of these things, the attitude, wisdom and knowledge, it's all according to his will, according to his working And so we can pray such bold prayers on one another's behalf. And we can expect him to answer because this is his revealed will for his church, is it not? Our sanctification, our maturing, our growth into the image of Christ Jesus, our Lord. And he has said, whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. So that the Father may be glorified and the Son, I will do it. So then, to go back to what we said in the beginning, how could we not take hold of our God and pull his ear down to us, as it were, and say, Oh, Lord, please, this is according to your will. Please answer. Give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Please increase our knowledge. Please, oh God, answer according to your will. This is his will for us, our sanctification, that we grow in holiness, that we grow in practical righteousness, that we walk in a holy manner before him. And so, of course, then we don't just pray these things, but we teach these things. We do these things as an example to one another. We exhort one another. We rebuke each other. Oh, please, gentlemen. Please, dear sisters, listen and follow according to God's will and walk in holiness of the truth. We might gloss that over sometimes for us. Lord, show me your will. How often do you pray that? Show me your will. We all do, right? No matter what it is, which job should I go to? Which college should I attend? Who should I marry? What car should I buy? I don't know. But we search for God's will. Help me in this, O Lord. And those are all fine. But here we have his revealed will. And we should be walking according to that. And his will, quite simply, 1 Thessalonians 4, your sanctification. And not only that, as the verse says, we pray in accordance with that power. You see, we go to God in prayer, not just because God has commanded us to, not just because it's quite a privilege to go in to talk to the king, but rather we go because we have great need and he has the power to fulfill that need, doesn't he? And so we go to him, expecting, knowing, waiting, persevering, 
waiting for that need to be filled. Because he has the power. And he answers our prayers according to his power, which I tell you is far above and beyond anything that I can think or anything that I can ask. And very often as we pray to him then, and we persevere in that prayer, and we wait and we expect, we see God do such amazing things. And very often, I dare say, we learn that our prayers were a mite small. And God answers them in such a tremendous and powerful way that we're just blown over. Lord, you have answered my prayer far and beyond anything that I could ever ask. So it is then when we pray for one another in great love for one another that every one of us would be sanctified in God's power. He answers those prayers. And we see him more powerfully in his church. And so number two, kind of overlapping. But I would say we expect his powerful answer. I'm so used to my congregation actually having uh, my handouts. That if, I'm sorry that you don't have it. I'm kind of referring to it off and on. But I'm in my application section. And so this is number two. The first one was that we pray according to his will. My second application is that we expect his powerful answer. As I said, a little bit of overlap there. But look again at verse 19. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might. Verse 20, which he brought about in Christ. What an amazing thing. Think about this one for a moment. It's obvious But I think we need to ponder this again. We pray to God who exercises such wonderful divine power so far beyond our comprehension. And it's that same power that worked in Christ. Read it again. These, all the things that he has taught us to ask here. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ. That is, that it's the same power that worked in Christ. That same power is going to work in you. That same power that worked in Christ is even now working in the church of God. And not only that. But it's in accordance with what God is doing and has done and will do in Christ Jesus. We are just a small part of that plan. Just a small cog in the plan of redemption. And we see that everything that God has done in Christ then extends to us. And we fit into that big picture According to the strength of his might that is at work in us. And look at everything it says here. Verse 20. God raised Christ from the dead. I know you know that. But can you think of anything that demonstrates God's power more than that? He raised the dead to life. He raised the Lord Jesus Christ never to die again. Isn't that amazing? I I hate to tell you, this might come as a surprise to you. I can't do that. I don't have that kind of power. It is so far beyond my ability that to even think about it is just laughable. But nothing is impossible with God. And here in Christ Jesus, we see that power, that demonstration of his resurrection power, that he raised Christ from the dead. And I've already referred to Ephesians 2, but allow me to refer to to it again. That that same power that raised Christ from the dead has now also raised you from the dead. 
If you are in Christ, this is just true. He has raised you from the dead. By grace, you have been saved. That is true now. Even though we look at each other and we can't tell it. Because we're still in this flesh. I look at you, you look at me, and you say, I don't see eternal life. I don't see a resurrection that's happened. Now, I might be able to tell if I knew you, I might be able to tell that something was different about you. I might be able to tell that you're no longer into the same things you used to be. I might be able to tell that you like to go to church and you are now a person of prayer and spirituality and on and on. But looking at you, I can't see it. And looking at me, you can't see it. But it's true. God has raised our spirits from the dead. You know the verse, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, you were dead in your sins and your transgressions. But now God has raised you up with Christ. He has demonstrated his power in you already. And not only that, he's going to demonstrate that same power again when Christ comes for us. And we are all transformed in an instant. And we are caught up to Christ. God has raised Christ from the dead. He has raised those who believe in him from the dead spiritually. And soon when Christ comes, he will raise all who are in Christ bodily. What a wonderful power at work in you. And this is the power that we pray according to. Secondly, God seated Christ on the throne. Look at verse 20 again. Not only did he raise him from the dead, but he seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. He has raised our Lord from the dead and he has given him a name above all names that is Lord of lords and King of kings. And he has sat him down at his right hand where soon he is to come again. And not only that, but we have been raised up with him. Not only that, but when he comes, we will be taken with him. We will follow him there. And not only that. But in Revelation 3, 21, it says that we will sit on his throne. And I can't even believe that. You know what I mean? I can't even fathom that. How wonderful that is. Number three, God exalted Christ over the creation. Look at verse 22. God raised him from the dead, seated Christ on the throne and exalted Christ over the creation. He put all things in subjection Under his feet. Oh, look at the power of God to raise his son from the dead, to sit him at his right hand, to subject everything to his feet. And finally, it says that he gave Christ to the church. Verse 22, he gave him as head over all things to the church. And if this is true, and it is. If that same power that worked in Christ is at work in us, and it is, how could God deny anything to us, his elect, who come to him in Christ? How will he not then exercise that same power as we pray according to his will to do such wonderful and awesome things in our life? That we would see the surpassing greatness of his power at work in our lives day after day after day after day. As we see his grace and kindness lavished on us in Christ Jesus. And we have a part in that in prayer for the church. Unceasing prayer for one another. And my third application is just following the text still. We are filled with the fullness of Christ. Look at verse 23. We don't have time to really flesh this out, but he says that he gave him his head over all things to the church. Verse 23, which is his body. The fullness of him who fills all in all. 
Look at this. We who are in Christ, the church, we are Christ's body. And just as the head fills the body with all things, so also now Christ fills his body, the church. And he is our all in all. He fills us with all things and he is in all of us. And if this is true, and it is, then Christ residing in us, filling us. And we go to the Father and we pray in Christ's name according to his will for one another unceasingly and constantly. Don't you think our God is going to hear us? Don't you think that our God is going to answer us? Don't you think that our God is going to work in our midst far and beyond anything that we could ever even imagine? Do you see the greatness of this? Do you see the wonder? Do you see the great privilege that we have been given in Christ Jesus? That we go boldly into the throne room of the Father and we approach the throne of grace looking for grace and mercy, not just for ourselves, but for all of the brethren. And we go and we lay our supplications before Him and we pray, Oh God, please grant to your church and your churches all around the world this spirit, this attitude, this disposition of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him. And by the way, increase their knowledge. Increase their knowledge of the hope of His coming. Increase their knowledge about the riches of your inheritance and the saints. Increase their knowledge about the surpassing greatness of the power that's working in them. Show them the power of God that raised Christ from the dead at work in their life. Show them the power of God that seated him at, his, at your right hand working in their life. Show to them the power that subjected all things to Christ's feet working in their life. Show that they have on their side the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. And that filling them and in them is this Lord, this Christ, your Son. Whom you cannot deny. And when we come in him. Oh Lord. Show us. This great. Power. That is at work in your church. As you answer our prayers. As you sanctify us. And make us more like Christ. As you make us the salt of the earth. And the light of the world. Oh Lord make us like your son. That we may hold forth the word of truth. The gospel of life. What wonderful, wonderful privilege we have. Let us then go to our prayer closets. Let us then go and take hold of God. And let us prevail in prayer. Knowing that our God has asked us to come. Nay, He has commanded us to come in the name of His Son. And lay our petitions and seek for His grace. Let us go to Him. And let us bow before him, the father of glory, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has given to us such amazing blessings from eternity past all the way to eternity future. And let us go and be before him. There's a story that you know. In Acts chapter four. Actually, it began in chapter three. You know it. We have a little song about it, if you don't remember it. Peter and John went to pray. They met a lame man on the way. He asked for alms and held out his palm. And this is what Peter did say. You remember this? What did Peter say? Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise and walk. You remember all this, right? And he went walking and leaping. And do you remember what happened afterward to Peter and John? They were arrested. They were arrested for preaching and teaching Christ, performing miracles in his name. That's not what I want to look at. I want to look at the response of the church. Do you remember what the church did? They got together and they prayed. And they prevailed in prayer. And we won't read all of the prayer but it is a wonderful prayer in Acts chapter 4. But what I want you to look at is in verse 31. Acts chapter 4 verse 31. 
When they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. Oh, if we're not praying, we're playing. This is the great privilege. This is the great duty of the church to pray. And when we pray and we prevail in prayer and we take hold of God and we pray unceasingly for one another, we will see God greatly appear and God greatly work in our lives and in the lives of our brethren around the world. Oh, what the church needs is praying people. I would exhort you, pray. Pray and do not give up. Pray and prevail with God. Pray in great love for one another. Pray for your fellow brothers and sisters here in this church and all around the world. And not only that, but pray and surround yourself with praying people. You act like those who you are around. Surround yourself with people who are devoted to prayer. Surround yourself with those who will agree with you. Yes, let's be devoted together in prayer. And let's see God do amazing things in our churches. Oh, Father, you know how we love you. Help us to be people of prayer, devoted to prayer, not just for our own personal needs, but for the needs of all the brethren. And let us find ourselves taking more and more and more time just to pray for one another. That even as we think about someone, we would sneak off to pray for them. Oh Lord, you are our delight. We worship you. Blessed be your name forever. In Jesus' name, amen.